Iranians have rejected Islam. And if we share the gospel with clarity and lovingly, there is no other ideas, philosophy, religion that can compete with Jesus. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello, you're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hell as editor of Premier Christianity magazine, and you've joined us on Premier Christian Radio this afternoon for The Profile. This is where we talk to a leading Christian to find out something of their life story and how God is using them. And I'm really pleased to say that my guest today is Dr. Hormuz Shariat. He is the president and founder of Iran Alive Ministries. He's also the author of Iran's Great Awakening, and he was once dubbed the Billy Graham of Iran. Dr. Sharit is from a Muslim background and became a follower of Jesus in 1980. And his PhD is in artificial intelligence. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that as well. Dr. Sharit, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for inviting me. Great things are happening and I'm glad to report on what God is doing. We're looking forward to hearing your stories. We like to start at the very beginning. So can you take me right back to life growing up and tell me what that was like? Well, I was born in Iran as a Muslim, uh, and I followed Islam pretty religiously when I was younger, uh, praying and fasting, doing the rituals. But when I got to be a teenager, I said, come on, this thing doesn't add anything to my life. Just memorizing these prayers and repeating them and repeating them. Just be a good person. And so I quit doing that, and I focused on my dream, and which was to come to United States, get a PhD in science and be a scientist. So I became a very good student. I pursued my dreams. And at the time of revolution in Iran, 79, I was a young student on streets of Tehran. I was shouting, death to America, death to Shah, all that. So um, of course I've changed my mind. I'm in America and I'm blessed by this nation. So. I came to U.S., uh, went to California, University of Southern California. And as I was getting my Ph.D. in AI, as you mentioned, I said, let me have another look at the issue of God in general. Maybe there is God and maybe it relates to my life. Maybe I was too young to decide that God is irrelevant to my daily life. So I said, that, let me study Quran one more time. And if it's true then I will dedicate my life to serving it. I was serious. So I got Quran, and even though I knew a lot about Islam, I read it very carefully, very objectively, not as a Muslim, but as one who is doing research. I finished uh, reading Quran. I knew most of it. I learned a few new things. But I I said this... uh, God of Quran is, uh, has a lot of commandments. Most of it is very violent. But where is he? Does he relate to my life? And so I, my conclusion is either there is no God or if there is God, he just gives us some commandments that you need to follow. It doesn't relate to your daily struggles. But then my pride kicked in. My pride as an intellectual, as a researcher kicked in. Uh, what pride? The pride of how can I say I'm a researcher 
and come to conclusion by just reading one book. That's not good research. You got to read several lines of thinking, then you come to conclusion. So I said, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. I don't think I'm going to find anything new in it because Islam is the last religion, the most complete religion. So probably I can read the whole Bible in three days because I, I was spending 16 hours a day looking for God. So I got a Bible, read Genesis. I said, let me see what Jesus says. Jump to Matthew. And uh, I wanted to read the whole thing in uh, three days. But Sam, three months later, I was stuck in Matthew 5. Who is this Jesus? <laughs> With every verse. So I struggled for a few months uh, to understand the truth. You know, as an intellectual, I, I was thinking before, well, all religions are the same. Why do they fight? You know, talk about God and being good. But the more I compared the Bible and Quran, I came to conclusion both cannot be true. Totally different, dif different God. They introduced different God, different morality, different commandments. So after a few months of struggle, I went to church. In downtown Los Angeles, that's where I heard the gospel. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's so simple. Oh, it's so simple. Even a child can't understand. You don't need to have PhD to understand the gospel. It's simple. And I believe that, uh, that simple message. But, you know, Sam, that simple message is the most powerful message in the world. Because it changed my life. It healed my marriage. And over all these years, I've seen that transform people's lives. And now it's transforming a nation. Tell me more about how your life changed. I suppose one specific question on that is, is how did your family receive that news? You're in another country. You're in America. You're studying. You're a student. You read the Bible, read Quran. You come to that conclusion that the Bible is true. You become a Christian. What was the knock-on effect for your family when they found this out? My family, you know, my parents were all educators. My mom was a teacher and my dad was a high school principal. Even though they were Muslims, they were never, they never forced Islam on us. They were more of intellectual Muslims. And uh, uh, my mom always told me, study, you know, don't accept anything without really researching it and don't reject anything without first looking at it. So when I became a Christian, my family made fun of me. They were saying, uh, how could you make that decision to become religious when religion, look at Islam, and religion is not the main part of anybody's life. And especially my mom was so against, against my faith. Uh, they made fun of me. That was a response. And my mom used to say, you you got a PhD and you make such a stupid decision to follow Christ. I thought you're intelligent. I thought you're smart. So these were the type of reactions I had from my family in the beginning. But over uh, the years, many, many of them came to Christ. Tell me more about what changed for you uh, now living in America. Were there things that changed overnight, things that you were doing that you stopped doing or things that took a bit longer for God to work in your life. You know, what would you say to someone who just says, all maybe a bit like what you just said, what's, what's the difference anyway? It's all just, it's all just religion. It's all a bit irrelevant. How did it actually change your life on a, on a real level? It's not just uh, 
now I used to go to a mosque, now I go to church. You know, uh, true faith in Christ is way beyond all these rituals, even all the names, Muslim, Christian, and all these denominations. I'm a Baptist. He is beyond all of that. It's a personal relationship with God. And uh, and you know when you have that personal relationship, how do you know you, you are saved? How do you know you are no God? The evidence is the proof. When your life is transformed, then you know that you are connected to God. And the transformation, of course, starts from within. God First, God changes your heart. You experience peace, joy, experience uh, patience, love for people you could not love. So these are evidence. These are the transformation, what God does in you. Everybody needs peace. Everybody's looking for peace. So the first fruit of knowing Christ is amazing peace comes to your life. And peace with you, yourself, and peace with your family. So for me, it was that. It changed from within. And it was strange to me, Sam. Um, it, of course, you don't become perfect. You don't grow. It's just like a child being born. It takes time to grow. and uh, But the child knows that he's born. I mean, birth is instant, but growth is gradual. So uh, to give you an example, we were at the verge of divorce. We had set a date for me and my wife to be separated. We, could, uh, we couldn't live to, uh, with each other. And uh, so when we became a Christian, she became Christian about the same time as mine. And we got to the date of our separation. And uh, of course, marriage doesn't improve overnight. We still had a lot of problem even after we were Christians, we went to our pastor. I said, you know, we are, we have a lot of problems uh, and we want to get divorced. And so he said, really, let me show you a verse in you know, where God says, I hate divorce. I said, oh my gosh, I've never read that before. I wish I had got divorced before I could become a Christian. Now I'm stuck here with a bad marriage. Is that what it, what it means? And, and, you know, in Islam, it's so easy, especially for men to divorce their wives, uh, very easy. And sometimes as easy as call, uh, telling them, I divorce you three times or putting their shoes outside the door. I mean, there are, this is uh, many, many cultures follow that, but even more advanced cultures like Iran, the books, the laws in the books makes it very easy for, for a husband to, to divorce wife. So. I was thinking, oh my gosh, Christianity is different. You have to love your wife and, and the war, he hates the war. So we stayed together and it took several years. As we are still learning, we are still learning husband and wife. We are still working on a marriage, but it uh, took years to improve. But we canceled our marriage and the Lord uh, changed us, has used us to serve, serve others. So internal change, external change. Now, one big difference one big change in my behavior was this are you ready to hear it i hope your listeners be careful receive what i'm saying okay i hope you get what I, what, what god gave me i'm saved with a simple message and this message is transforming my life and i'm amazed and i'm excited oh my gosh this simple message that even a child can't understand. 
It has atomic power. It has power to change people, marriages, families. It has power to change nations. Now, this is what I want everybody feel. I felt selfish if I don't share the gospel. You have the answer to personal problems, people struggling with their value, people struggling with having joy and peace, people struggling in their marriage. You have the answer. We have the answer. We have the answer to personal problems. We have the answer to society problems. And it's selfish if we keep it to ourselves. So I hope everybody feels that way. Now, going back to me, I was a nerd. I was an introvert, engineer, more comfortable with books than people. It was so hard for me to talk to people, but the Holy Spirit in me forced me to speak up, to speak up, share the gospel. And you know, the power is not in you. The power is in the gospel. And as I shared the gospel, even with my shyness, the Lord Use that to bring many, many to Christ. So uh, I had to share that. I hope everyone values the salvation and believes in the power of the gospel. You know, um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, because it's a power. Power to save anyone who believes, first Jews and then non-Jews. But so I want to encourage Everyone that's listening, believe in the power of the gospel. Don't be shy. Be humble. Be kind. But don't be shy. And that that leads me on to, to something I wanted to ask you. You know, as someone who is an evangelist, someone as you say who has shared your faith, and we'll, we'll talk about the detail of that in a moment. But just bigger picture, what you've just said about don't be shy. Do you think there is increasing pressure on Christians in the West to keep quiet about their faith? Do you, do you think Christians sense this kind of growing secularism, atheism in both the US and the UK? And do you think we are a bit fearful and a bit, oh, I don't want to rock the boat or come across badly? You know, is that something you're sensing, that, that challenge to Christians in the West to need to be a bit bolder and maybe learn from Christians in the East? There is a lot to learn from <laughs> From the Christians in the East, uh, for sure, I could give uh, sermons on that, give a teaching on that. But uh, you're right. I, I live in America. I see the trend. The trend is a persecution of Christians. And the Christians have allowed it over the last 30, 40 years. They have allowed that. They, they have believed the lies that, okay, you don't have to share. You, you can go to your churches. And if they're interested, they come to your church. Uh, we have confined our Christianity to our churches. And uh, society, you say, go to your church, do whatever you want inside your church. But outside, no. And that's one, that's the first level of, Christi uh, of persecution. Always the first level of persecution is you're free, but inside your church walls. So that has come to, to the West and more and more gradually, even... Um, now, you cannot, in America, you cannot witness at your workplace. You cannot witness at schools. You cannot pray. All these issues have gone through. So there is a, but now as a nation, that culture is moving in that direction. In America, 
they're a mixture of different cultures. Every state has different culture, but in general, America is moving towards an anti-Christian um, values, let me say, or beliefs. It's, it's very anti-Christian. I used to be, li live in California and I moved to uh, Texas to start the 24-7 satellite broadcast about 10 years ago. Like Texas and California, two different nations, <laughs> two, different, yes. two different cultures. But both visited, of them are. I visited them both. I visited them both, and I have a similar impression. They are like two completely different places, two different cultures, especially in respect to to faith and in lots of other areas as well. But as you say, within one nation. And um, before we talk more about evangelism and what you've gone on to do through your ministry, I did want to talk about your brother, if that's okay. Um, can you just tell us what happened? He was arrested at the age of of sixteen. Just tell us what what happened. My brother was killed by the government of Iran, and that had major impact in the direction of my life, at least my commitment to the Lord. And um, so I was a new believer, and my none of my family members have come to Christ. So I was praying for them, hoping all of them will hear the gospel and come to Christ. And uh, so my brother, a 16-year-old, uh, was arrested in Iran for minor, minor political charges. A young not doing big things. So he was in jail and my mom was visiting him weekly. And they were telling my mom, oh, don't worry, don't worry. He's doing fine. We're going to release him soon. And But they kept him for two years. And when he turned 18, they called my mom and said, come and get his body. We just executed him. When my mom went to pick up my brother's body, they, they said, no, you, you, you got to pay. You got to pay for the bullets. It costs us to kill your son. You, you have to pay your bill. So my mom had to pay a pretty good amount to get the body back. And now I'm in America, a new believer. I hear the news and I've been praying for my brother and my family. So I go into this big crisis of God. What is this? I prayed for two years and this is injustice. Young man, there is cruelty in this world. There is injustice, violence in this world. Now, as a Christian, what am I supposed to do? I ask God. So as I was mourning for two, three days, I was just at home, you know, crying, asking God. Over three years, I, three days, I felt this um, from God. I felt God telling me, um, those who killed your brother, they are not your enemies. You know, first I was... My feeling, I went through these feelings of, uh, first, I wanted revenge. Okay, this is a natural response. You killed my brother. I'm going to do something to hurt you. And then I realized, no, uh, Bible in Bible, God says, uh, revenge belongs to me. You're not supposed to take revenge. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I, I just hate them. Oh, yeah. You asked me not to hate. You said even love your enemies. So... This is a new faith. Okay, God, I understand. But really, Lord, I, I, at least, you know, I'm angry. I'm really angry. Oh, I'm not supposed to be angry. If you're angry at somebody, you've already killed them in your heart. What type of faith is this, God? What am I supposed to do with injustice? Can I at least curse and cuss a little bit so I can feel better? No, 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 no. You can't do that. You worship with your mouth. You can't even do that. So. Ask God, what should I do? And this is when I felt God saying, those who killed your brother, they are not your enemies. 
they're victims in the hands of one enemy. You don't have enemies. You have one enemy, and that's Satan, who is using religion and religious people who kill your brother. So have compassion on them. Have, have love for them. God put love for those who killed my brother. So my ministry to Muslims has never had any hatred. It started with love. It continues with love. And, he, and the Lord said, you want to hurt that one enemy, Satan? Yeah, I, I want to do something. Okay. The best thing you can do is to evangelize. To hurt one enemy, Satan, you, you need to evangelize. Why? Because we know that when one person comes to Christ, there is rejoicing among the angels in heaven and probably mourning in the courts of hell. So the best way to take revenge of one enemy, which is Satan, is to evangelize. One person comes to Christ, the Lord and angels and us all be celebrating, but the enemy will lose one person. So that's why I committed, Sam. I said, God, okay, I, I will commit my life to evangelize, share the gospel, even lovingly with Muslims. I will do that. But if you're going to do it, let's go big. Ask the Lord, would you use my life? I will, I will witness to the end of my life life as I'm long as I'm alive but would you use me to bring one million Muslims to Christ I did not know what I was talking there was no satellite television there was no internet there was no social media I mean I, I just said God use me and uh, by his grace he has used me and now with through satellite television which uh, we have 24 7 we go over the heads of the mullahs you know what the satellite television is nobody can stop it the signal comes from the sky. The government of Iran cannot do anything about it. We go over their heads. We go into people's homes in the privacy of their homes. Millions of people inside Iran. And we tell them about the love of Christ. And God knows how many have come to Christ. We have the names of over 100,000 people who have contacted us and prayed with us to receive Christ. But the real number, God knows how many. Maybe several hundred thousand. How soon after that happened to your brother and you decided the, the way to turn this tragedy into, into something God-honoring was, was evangelism? How quickly did your, your ministry come about, um, Iran Alive Ministries? Well, that, it was gradual. I was uh, first in Southern California as a student. I got saved and I shared the gospel. And a few were coming to Christ. This is the, in the 80s. Iranians were not that open. It took me a long time working with those even who were, you know, those who were interested. Not many people were interested in the 80s. Uh, Islamic revolution had just uh, taken over Iran and the Iranians were believing, no, Islam is the way. Islam is going to take over the world. And nobody was interested in Christianity. But those who were interested, it took me six months, three to six months of witnessing to come to Christ. So I started doing that. Uh, tried to have house churches, attempted to have house churches in Southern California. and But when I graduated and I went to Northern California, I worked in an artificial intelligence lab there. I started again a house group witnessing. But this time, the Lord blessed it in an amazing way. And the church, uh, I started a church in my home, uh, a group in my home, two or three people. It grew to tens and then it grew to hundreds of Muslim converts 
in the Silicon Valley, Northern California, the center of technology, we had a big, large church. We have hundreds of hundreds of Muslim, Iranian Muslims come to Christ. And our church is still there. If you go to Sunnyvale, look up Iranian Christian church right across with that big building of Google. Right across there is our church. And how, how significant is that, that, that people like yourself who might travel from Iran to the U.S. to study or for other reasons could actually, like you, encounter the gospel there? And then potentially go back home and take the gospel with them. I mean, this is something we're talking about a lot in the UK. And obviously, refugees, migrants are in the news quite a lot. And one of the Christian responses to that is that we should welcome immigration because it's an opportunity for the gospel, for people coming from closed nations like Iran to come to a more open, democratic environment, hear the gospel and take it home again. Have you, have you seen that happen in your ministry of, of Iranians coming to the US like you discovering Jesus and, and then taking it home with them? Such a great point you're making. Uh, for me, yes, of course. When a Muslim comes to Christ, they naturally are very excited about their faith and they want to share. So we have to use that. Um, and don't, don't make them cold like many Western Christians. We try to make them like ourselves. Be careful. <laughs> we, we, I don't want to bash the Western Christians, but that's the truth. We are comfortable. Okay, we're comfortable with our faith. We go to church and we, sometimes we make them like ourselves and we, we should be more like them. They're dedicated to the Lord. They came from darkness, so they appreciate the light. They appreciate what Jesus has done and they understand that they need to dedicate their lives and they reach out to their uh, people group. So uh, use that. That's natural. That's given by God. Now, as a strategy, uh, you mentioned that it's so productive a strategy for Christians in the West, in UK or in any other nation that accepts refugees. If intent, you have to be intentional. It's not automatic. Uh, one important point is this: when a refugee enters a new country, they are open spiritually only for a short time. Uh, six months, a year. After that, they're very hard to reach. So if you want to have a good strategy, productive strategy, you have to reach out to refugees right away. Love them because nobody accepts them. They're, uh, they feel in a foreign land and uh, those people in those foreign land are not accepting them. So a Christian showing them love, uh, it, it has impact. So that was the number one, reach, reach out to refugees as soon as they enter, intentional, with a plan. Don't let it, uh, uh, the time pass. Number two is use this natural um, zeal that God gives them to reach out to their own people. So uh, when somebody comes to Christ, you go out and share the gospel with new, new refugees. They come to Christ. Focus on them. Focus. Focus on them. Focus on a few. You're done. I mean, you you bring two or three refugees to Christ. Don't think oh, there are two or three. Just forget everything else, but focus on discipling these two or three people. They are your, these are the people who will reach out to the rest of the people. Uh, you may continue witnessing, but sometimes people just say, Oh, I have I brought three people to Christ, so let me go for the fourth one. 
let me go for the fifth one. Oh, yeah, continue evangelism. But if you want to wise, if you want to be wise, if you want to be productive, when you bring a refugee to Christ, disciple, and use that natural zeal that they have to reach out to their friends and family members, that's a very productive strategy. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective. It's time to discover Premier Christianity. Balanced, confident, relevant, faith-filled. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Now only five pounds for three months. You mentioned something very important there about loving people. And of course, in our evangelism, we are we are called to love people. When it comes to reaching Muslims particularly, though, I've I've noticed sometimes while there might be a desire, of course, to love everyone, there's also sometimes amongst Christians a fear of Islam. There's a sometimes a a fear of these people who I who I don't know, fear of the unknown. Sometimes a, a political fear of what I've read in the news suggests these people don't like me and are out to hurt me. Have you encountered that perception amongst Christians that stopped us in our evangelism because we've been fearful of the people we're trying to reach? Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, fear is very natural for all of us uh, human beings in different uh, areas of our life. We face fear, but especially when you want to confront the spirit of Islam. Spirit of Islam is spirit of fear. Uh, it is controlling the, all those Muslims. They are controlled by fear of Allah, not love of Allah. Allah has 99 names. None one is Allah. So the controlling power in, the, in Islam is fear. The controlling power in true Christianity is love. The, it's the love of God that constrains us. He loved us first. And now we respond to him with love. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Allah says, if you fear me, you obey my commandments. So I want to wrap up with this. Understand the spirit of fear is not the spirit of God. And may I challenge all Christians, I hope you don't take, it, take me wrong. This is out of my love for you and for the kingdom of God. May I challenge all Christians in the West with this. When you are afraid of Muslims and when you hate them and you don't like them, may I say that you're submitting to the spirit of Islam because there's spirit behind that. By doing that, you're submitting your soul to that dark spirit because the spirit of violence, spirit of fear, spirit of hatred is the thumbprint, is the DNA of that spirit. So don't submit to it. What does the Bible say? It's the perfect love casts us fear. Just start loving them. There's, we have such a great power in our love. We, we think love is just being a little bit kind. No, there is a power. That's why in First John it says, perfect love casts out fear. Cast out is a spiritual warfare word. It's when you cast out demons and it has that power. So start loving. Another point is, you think you're afraid of them. They're more afraid of you. Just think of it. These are refugees in the new land. 
full of fear. Well, what is my future in this land? Are they going to accept me? So if you see a, a woman with a covering in a, in a store, you have to understand she's more afraid of you than you're afraid of her. So approach her with love. Approach her caring for her. I've talked to those women, uh, who, uh, Muslim women, who go out shopping with covering. You know what they tell me? They say we, exp we, we feel the heavy looks of everybody because we have this Islamic covering. We feel that. We feel rejected. We feel questioned. We feel unwelcome. So as Christians, how much impact we can have just approaching them, welcoming them into the nation, welcoming to our lives. That by itself has so much impact into, in their lives. I'd love to talk some more about Iran specifically, because you've said that Iran will be the first Islamic nation that turns to Christ. How can you be so sure? Well, number one, by faith. Number two, but it's not by faith, by sight, both. <laughs> God says, do not go by sight, but go by faith. But it's both. The faith part is the promise of the Lord in Jeremiah 49, 38. There is prophecy about Elam. Elam is completely inside the land of Iran today. So there is a prophecy there. Do you believe that prophecy? What is that prophecy? The prophecy says, it's a promise. God says, I will set my throne in Elam. Most Christians know it, that he will set his throne in Jerusalem, but most of them do not know that there is another promise. He says, I will set my throne in Elam. So what does that mean, setting his throne? Does it mean many Christians? Yes. Many churches? Yes. But more than that, he can say, I rule a nation when that nation knows him, loves him, worships him, and respect and, and obeys him, obeys him in every area. So that's the future of Iran, promised in Jeremiah 49:38. Iran will be a Christian nation. When I make that statement, some people say, Are you crazy? Just go, you know, Iran 98% Christian. What are you talking about? Where did you get that idea? I tell them, Well, I I stole it. So you stole that idea? Yes. Well, I stole it from Jeremiah 49:38 that Iran will be a Christian nation. Now that's by faith, not by sight. Iranians have rejected Islam already. And if we share the gospel with them, with clarity and lovingly, there is no other ideas, philosophy, religion that can compete with Jesus, but we have to do our part. You know, another outrageous statement I make, Sam, is this. I've been, I was making it, and then people challenged me. I uh, quieted down for a while, but now I'm again back. I'm bold. You know what the shocking statement is? Is this. Iran is no longer an Islamic nation. I used to say that. Iran is no longer an Islamic nation. People say, no, come on. You're exaggerating. You're, you're exaggerating. Just Google 98-some percent Muslim. Now I have proof, Sam. Two years ago, there was a survey by two university professors in Sweden. They asked 50,000, that's a large number, 50,000 of Iranians, what do you believe? Can you believe it? Less than one third of them said we believe in Islam. Less than one third of Iranian 
by name Muslims said we believe in Islam. Another one third said either there is no God or God is irrelevant to my daily life. And the last one third, they were people who were looking everywhere for God. They were looking at Eastern religions, New Age religions, Christianity, all philosophies. They were looking everywhere. Now the challenge is this. If you and I share the gospel with Iranians, Iran will be a Christian nation because it promised in Jeremiah 49, 38. But we have to do, do our part. When we do our part, there is no competition. And you say, how do we do it? We do it through media. I cannot go to Iran. I will be killed if I go to Iran. So I want to encourage you to pray and join us. We have a 24-7 hours broadcast. We pray for partners who will come alongside with good teachings, with good video content, teachings about marriage, youth, everything. We can partner together to transform Iran into a Christian nation. That's my invitation. And when you talk about those statistics, just to, to set this in context, you know, all the all the official figures will point to it's an Islamic Republic. I think you said 98% of people identify with Islam. So when you talk about that other survey, where as many as a, a third or even two thirds are not identifying as Muslim, what's, what's going on there? Is this a question of when people are fearful and they, they know what the quote unquote right answer is, they'll say, yes, I'm a good Muslim because I'm going to be in trouble unless I say otherwise. Is, is that what's going on here? How do you how do you account for such wide discrepancies between the survey you mentioned and all the other statistics, which suggest that pretty much everyone in, in, in Iran is a practicing Muslim? Yeah, well, that survey does surprise me. As I, as I said, I used to say that and I say that. Now, why that survey? Uh, it's very clear. This survey and the place the people of Iran, where the people of Iran are, it did not happen overnight. It took 40 years. This is a spiritual journey of Iranians. From 1980 and the 80s that people of Iran were saying that Islam is the way and I'm ready to die for it. And many did in Iran-Iraq war. Many died for Islam. So they took a spiritual journey that took him 40 years from there ready to die for Islam to now that many, many Iranians are saying, Islam is not our answer, is our problem, and we need to get rid of it. So that survey is not an emotional thing. It's a very deliberate rejection of Islam because they know what Islam is. They experienced it for 40 years. They know, they have studied. One, one amazing thing happened in Iran, which it, it hasn't happened in many Islamic nations is this. Freedom to think, freedom to question. You go to Muslims, I, and I have done in many other nations, even Muslims with PhDs, I've talked to them. I start reasoning with them. And the moment we get into reasoning about God, their minds are closed and they don't want to talk about it. A Muslim is not allowed to question Allah, to question Quran. A fear bring comes on them. They will not do it. Even educated ones don't do it. So a spiritual move of God in Iran has started many years ago by questioning Islam, studying Quran, studying other religions. So uh, to wrap it up, this rejection of Islam is very deliberate. That's why I make another statement. 
like this. Iran will never be an Islamic nation. It could be a secular nation. It could be a Christian nation, but never an Islamic nation again. From time to time, we here at Premier hear reports along the lines of what you're talking about in terms of amazing turning of people in the Middle East to gods. Uh, you know, we hear reports of Muslims having dreams of Jesus uh, and some amazing, amazing stories along those lines. Of, of course, as I, as I mentioned, it's hard to back this up often with material evidence and statistics. But nevertheless, can you speak a little bit into uh, what it's like for the what's been termed the underground church in Iran? You just mentioned in passing, if you went to Iran, you'd be arrested and killed. So clearly for evangelical Christians, certainly in Iran, life is very, very difficult. And yet we are getting reports of a thriving underground church and God doing something amazing. Now, again, we're prevented in how much detail we can give sometimes on these stories because we want to protect those people in those nations but nevertheless can you give some insight into what the church is like in iran because according to you it's sizable it's growing and you believe ultimately iran will be a christian nation but what are we seeing right now yes we have planted many underground churches that came out naturally out of our broadcast you you broadcast people contact you they come to christ then they want you to feed them to disciple them to teach them and then they get together and they want you to help them and uh, teach them how to do underground church. So it, the underground church network that we have in Iran just came naturally out of our, our evangelism uh, bro uh, broadcast. So, but it's very dangerous uh, being a Christian in Iran. And it's a good sign, by the way. <laughs> it's a good, why? Because the persecution in Iran by the government is out of fear. They are afraid of Christianity. They know Christianity is growing and they want to stop it. They want to control it. And they know they cannot. The theology of Islam, the religion of Islam is no match. Islam and Christianity. When people compare the two, I'm talking about. When you compare Muhammad and, and Jesus, there is no match. There is no competition there. And the government knows that. So they cannot stop Christians with another theology, a better theology, a better Islam. They cannot do that. So naturally, they turn into violence. You know, when you cannot, even in high school, I remember having fights among kids. And uh, the kid, and first it started with argument. You know, I say, you say, I say, you say. But eventually, the person who had no answer, they would turn into violence. So that that's what uh, that's what's happening in Iran. There is a violence because it's because Christianity is growing. And now the strategy of the government of Iran is putting fear in the hearts of Christians. It, they have killed many, but not in a major numbers. Of course, even one person killed is too many. Uh, so it's not that they're arresting hundreds and thousands of Christians and killing them, which they could, but they're not doing it. They know the the result will be disaster for them. They know that. So what they're doing is putting fear in the hearts of Christians. How do you do that? This is how they do it. They've arrested a few Christians. Right now there are Christians in jail. They arrest them for minor offenses, for attending a house church. Did you know if you're a Christian in Iran and you attend a 
house church. There's no building churches, by the way. It's closed. Attend the house church and they catch you attending a house church. You get seven to 10 years in prison just for attending. There are, there are Christians there right now. Sometimes I feel the enemy believes in the power of church more than we do. They know Christians getting together. There is power there. They, they don't want them to gather even homes. They know if they get together, they will do something major. So uh, distributing Bibles, you get uh, you get several years just passing on Bible to others. If you're a Bible distributor, you could be killed. For sure, you're going to be tortured because they will, they want to ask you, where did you get these Bibles? Give me the names. Give me the names of your coworkers. Give me the names of your hierarchs. Definite torture for a long time to get all the information if you're distributing Bibles. So the government uh, uh, intentionally, they publicize these cases. They intentionally publicize, oh, this person is in jail because he attended the house church. He will be there for 10 years. So he, they will signal it to other Christians. Don't dare share your faith. Don't dare attend the house church. Serious, uh, very serious situation for, for Christians. And what do they ask for prayer for? How can Christians in the West be praying for them? Well, God is at work. God is working there. Jesus died for them. He has done his part. Sometimes, Sam, I feel like this. Jesus saying, I have opened a nation for you. Not saying to me, saying to all of us, we are all one family. We are family of God. All Christians in East and West, I feel God is telling us this. He's saying, I've done what I could. I died for them, number one. For all Muslims. Yes, I love Muslims and I died for them. Do you love them? Number two, I have opened their hearts. I have opened the hearts of a nation towards the message of the gospel. That's a supernatural. That's the work of the spirit of God. Number three, Jesus says, I have made and I am making personal appearance to them. I am doing visions, dreams, miracles among them. I've done all part, my part. Now it's your turn. Why don't you do your part? Why don't you share the gospel? I want to send you to share the gospel. And so the prayer is not just for them to be open because they're already open. The main prayer is for us Christians. God, give us the love for them. Give us the strategy, the wisdom for to reach out to them. Uh, give us the urgency. Jesus says, as it is the day, work because the guide coming. Ivan is open. But it's not going to stay open for a long time. The history has shown nations open up and they close. So be urgent. There is, this is urgent. It's only, God knows, maybe months, maybe a few years, but it's going to close. Iran is going to close. So pray for us that we might move and do understand God's will. Get his heart for the Muslims to love them. Get his mind and his strategy and the, pow the power of the Holy Spirit. Do what he, said, he tells us to do. That's a good prayer points. Uh, your ministry, Iran Alive Ministries, you've been talking about how you're broadcasting the good news into Iran through satellite television. Now, obviously, when you when you started that work, when you pioneered that work, uh, satellite TV was was kind of new, wasn't it? Um, in some ways. And what I'm really interested in asking you about is is the latest new technology. You have a PhD in artificial intelligence, 
everyone I know is talking about chat GPT, AI, the future. I'd love to hear from you. How do you think Christians will use AI for evangelism in the future? Oh, AI will open many good doors and unfortunately many challenges to even the existence of humanity uh, everywhere. I could uh, go on that for, for a long time. I, that's my field and I'm reading a lot these days to uh, understand but come to answer your questions also. Uh, AI will give us tools so we can reach out better for Christ. Number one, uh, personally, as a Christian, with AI, you can grow. I, You know, the other day, I, I with ChatGPT, I said, write me a sermon about the light of God and darkness of this world. Just do it. You won't believe what a great sermon it gave me <laughs> with introduction, with points and with, the, with points and with conclusions. So it will be a tool to grow. Uh, now, for evangelism, you mentioned um, one, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I want to look at the negative, but you can use it for positive. What is it used for negative is that uh, they profile you. Even now, Google profiles you. Uh, in a major way, but with AI, it's going to go even deeper. Even uh, your behavior and will be the control of human beings will go even further. They will tailor the news for you, not just pick the news. They will write. They will write a news item just for you. I mean, every word is designed for you. Right now, there is filtering, and the, and there is filtering in America. They won't allow some certain news to go through, certain articles to go through to people. They're filtering. But I'm not talking about filtering. I'm talking about writing a news article. You're, you're searching for, you Google something, and they, they're going to produce, not just find something. They're going to produce an audio, video resources, written resources, right on the spot. They know you. They know what you like. They know your language. They know your what you don't like. And they're going to tailor the articles you search just for you, the news you search for you. So that's the that's negative. For, for Christians, uh, coming out of that, if we, now going positive, what if, what if uh, you're evangelizing, say online, and you could know everything about that person? What is he looking? What is his, what is, where is he hurting? What, uh, what type of questions is he already has? What if you could search and, and filter and find people and, um, and, uh, and rate them to the most open? Oh, with my criteria, with my understanding, search the whole internet, come up with 100 or 1,000 people who, according to AI, are the, at the verge of receiving Christ. They're just right there. They need somebody to just pray with them. What if? And, you know, AI works with uh, large databases. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm uh, to how I can, we can use it for Iran. We are gathering a large database. So many, many people have come to Christ through us and we keep some limited data on them. But what if we had a database of 100,000 or a million Iranians and then we could search, then we could profile, then we, 
not for the bad thing, but for the good thing. So where they are, profile the Christians. What is their need? This Christian, what it, how can I approach this Christian to take him from point A to point B? What is their need? So I can, I can tailor my teaching, my sermon, not just mine. I mean, send them a tailor-made article just written for them by AI. I mean, the AI knows what type of words they use even in their language. I mean, <laughs> so it, it, it can be a great tool for uh, outreach, personalized teaching, personalized training. Uh, training, uh, education will be transformed, not just for Christians, for everyone, because a student, the, te the te teaching AI will tailor everything to where you are and where you're weak, where you're strong. In math, yes, will take you along. In your spiritual walk, yes. Uh, so it could be used for good and bad, but it could be used for evangelism and discipleship. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Sharia, it's been a pleasure to talk all things Iran, evangelism, and even AI at the end there as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, Sam. God bless you. You're doing a great work, and I pray uh, for the blessing of your listeners that they will receive what you share and their lives will be changed and touched and transformed. I'm Sam Howes and you have been listening to the Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I would love it if you could just do me a massive favour and give us a quick rating and a review wherever you are currently listening to the show from. It helps other people to discover the show and if you haven't already do check out our amazing back catalogue of interviews scroll down and you will find over 300 conversations we've done with christians from all walks of life we've had sports stars and church leaders and tv presenters and more all sharing about how they've come to faith the lessons they've learned and how god is using them in their life and their ministry today the profile podcast so do check out that archive and please do give us a rating and a review it really helps us out we will be back next week with another great conversation for you until then take care you've been listening to the profile in association with premier christianity magazine